Okay, we are back. Um, eventful couple weeks, I you know, in American <laughs> politics. We got um, Raphael Warnock is the go. senator, which is great. But then we lost Kirsten Cinema. Did we? Um, what do you Did think we? about that? Yeah, well, what do you think about that? Um, I think for her, it's a really good move. I get it. Uh, we hate her because I think Why? Democrats Why? unanimously hate her. And we don't really think she's a real Democrat anyway. Um, you know, Joe Manchin is more. So she wasn't she wasn't going to win her primary. I don't know if she was going to win her primary, but I th- I mean, that, I think that's what everybody's saying is like the strategy is that she knew that she is so such a hated figure in the sure. Democratic base that when she, and she's going to get primaried in Arizona that she wouldn't survive. That I don't, that I'm not sure, but I, I don't know how popular she is in Arizona. I haven't really looked into that, but Arizona's weird. Who knows? Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think she, it, it's this like narrative where people want to pretend like I'm so special. I, I can't be controlled by the, like no one's controlled her. She's like killed so much policy. It's crazy. Like, you know, she was actually at a lot more power as a Democrat because she really was kind of the swing vote. Um, I think she'll probably vote the same. If I were Democrats, I would just lay off of her right now until the primary is up and then try to get rid of her. But yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. Okay. So this is what actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to do, since this is kind of a special episode, so we're going to have um, the guest on uh, later. Um, I wanted to do at the top uh, party favors, okay. right? So that to start, start sure. with party favors. And, and, and so for the Democrats, let's, why don't you elaborate? So you said that on the one hand, they should kind of like let her be and then kind of hope for the best that she will caucus with them and like be like an Angus King or a Bernie. No, no, no. That's that who's independent, but that's not what I'm implying. Okay. I think if there's until the primaries happen, if there are, if there's more policy that needs to be pushed forward, now is not the time to, to throw bombs at her. Let her go. Hopefully she votes in, in favor of policy that's coming up. And then when the time comes, you take your shot. I think she's probably expecting it. Um, it's not like she's a real Republican. She is a weird voter. Like she, she doesn't make a lot of sense. And she's clearly like in bed with her big donors, like a lot of people. But she's kind of unapologetic. Well, she's just a cor- yeah. corporate like Democrat. She, like she That's killed she the fifteen you know, just... fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, which is a little weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, she. This is what Hillary Clinton was like too. You know, she had argued that the fifteen dollar minimum yeah. was too high. You <laughs> yeah. know, um, and that's you know that's that. You know, people should be struggling. Uh, I think right now the Democrats need to just keep this narrative going that we won. We hist- we won historically. This never happens. That the Republican Party is dead. Trump has control of it. There's no leader. There's a civil war. I think they need to flip the script and just keep putting that out there that the Republican Party is dead. Look what's happened. They lost a seat. We gained a seat. The This never happens. Oh, my God. Um, and I wouldn't even worry about this. Just pretend she, because she's not a Republican. It's not like she switched parties. Like, just let it go. I, w- I would just let it go and just keep pushing the narrative that, like, we're doing something right. Like their war on abortion, their war on the poor, their war on immigration, uh, their their love affair with Russia. It's all coming back to get them. And Trump is ruining them because what you need to do is to get a couple brave Republicans to really start attacking Trump, which will backfire on them. By the way, maybe that's my party favor for the Republicans. I think people see a wounded Trump right now, but I don't see it. I just think we were going to win regardless of they put a different candidate up or whatever. I just think, you know, the abortion thing, we've talked about this. You just there's certain things that we're mm-hmm. realizing are kind of off limits and I, which is good. Um, also, the Supreme Court is just like kind of like a joke at this point. I mean, they're 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 trying to delegitimize themselves i think i think they're really just trying to like make everybody angry um so i would say my advice to the democrats is keep the parade tour going like you just won the super bowl uh 
keep talking about how great everything's you know gas prices are down inflation's gone. we're not we haven't hit a crazy uh um the economy hasn't gone to shit the war in the ukraine looks good take credit for everything good and ignore <laughs> everything bad and try to see if you can win <laughs> next year because n- nobody except for me and a couple people saw this you know blue wave happening and i think I would just continue on the positivity tour and the um, uh, throwing bombs into the other side and make them blame each other for it. That That's my advice. Okay. Don't fight them. Let okay. them fight each All other. Right. Kind of like we did with Bernie and Hillary so, back in the day where we kind of, you know, had a, a little, our own civil war, but obviously a much more civil war. Like it was Hillary was going to lose anyway if Bernie never got in it, I think. Um, but, but the way we kind of had a more reasonable, uh, clashing of ideology, they're having a very scary clashing of ideology. And the governor of Atlanta showed that you can survive being on Trump's bad side. Um, you know, he, he didn't, are you talking, are you talking about the uh, Georgia, that's governor I meant. Yeah, Kemp? Yeah, Georgia governor Kemp, you know, he yeah, didn't outright yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 start yeah. a fight with Trump, but he, you know, he basically didn't believe in covid like kept the common economy open has been rewarded for that they like it down there they don't want to be shut down uh i think people are going to look at that like he took on trump which he didn't do yeah well okay so i that wasn't I very linear but you know you, said. But you, you get the yeah 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 i'll 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 um i'll agree with the you know let them die from a death from a thousand cuts from each other right you know like let let that that fight go on um there's no reason to participate and (laughs) mediate or anything like that just sort of point and laugh right so that i think that's that's a good strategy the flip side however is that and this is one of the things that i think has bedeviled the democratic party for a long time is that that's almost all they do is that they just point to the other side and they say, look, do you want some of that? Right? Like, look at how terrible they are. And that's been their strategy for, for decades, really. Um, without, and you know, Kirsten Cinema, I think is a very good example of what the democratic party actually is, even though she's calling herself an independent now, um, is that they're captured by corporate interests um and they say the right things in terms of like social and cultural issues right they they do all that they have the lingo down they 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 do all of these things um but in the end you are left unsure what they actually stand for when you know they have say you know, signature policies that they they run on and then they have majorities and then they don't pass it because they don't want to play hardball to actually pass it. So which which from sitting from our perspective, one can only conclude that when you have power and you are unwilling to actually wield it forcefully to get your program um, in motion, uh, you actually don't believe in the program that much. You just want to run on it. Um, because you know it sounds nice um, and it contrasts with the other side, but you're actually not really for anything. So we've been talking about, and I'll just say this, this because this is like a sort of perennial thing, is that we've been talking about the minimum wage since 2016, right? Like that, that was the conversation that Bernie Sanders was, you know, um, getting into the public discourse in 2016. And then we talked about it in 2020 as well. And guess what? The minimum wage is still seven twenty-five, right? You know, so the the actual policy changes are just not there. So for me, like I think the Democrats once again need to like really articulate what they're for and then play hardball to get it. Like that's it. Because that's what Republicans do and they do it very well. And people and, and if I were a Republican, I would at least at least trust the Republicans. Like I know when they get in power, they're gonna do what I want them to do. Democrats, not at all, right? So I think that's one thing. For the Republicans, um, if I was them, I would be soliciting 
uh, Kirsten Cinema as much as possible right now uh, because she loves attention. Um, this is all about sort of attention for her, you know, that she wants to remain relevant um, because Warnock came in and now suddenly, you know, um, she's made she's made it down to a 50-50 split again. Um, so if I was a Republican, I would be courting her. Uh, and they already have in some it's in some ways, work. you know, Mitch McConnell's appeared with her and stuff like that. Um, but that's what that's what I would uh, definitely do, because her her movement from Green Party um, uh, candidate um, who was basically, you know, left of Bernie and at, at the beginning of her career and now to corporate shill mirrors exactly that of Howard Dean, um, who was also a left wing Democrat from Vermont. Uh, who then after, you know, he lost his, you know, presidential run, then became a lobbyist for the pharmaceutical mm -hmm. corporations, right? So that's the exact same trajectory. And like, once you do that, you're, you're a hair, you know, you're on the knife's edge to being a Republican. Yeah, that's anyway, not going to happen. Right? So, so um, yeah, I think, I think that I'm just saying, if I was a Republican, I would do everything possible to make her feel comfortable they and then they also can't. to sort of point out how she's unwanted they in can't. her former party. That that's insanity. They 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 don't have uh, um peace within the party. Like what is she coming to? It's not like there's a united Republican party. Do you want to walk into that? Do you want to walk into you just lost a historical uh, uh, a midterm oh, no, election. No, no. I wouldn't, I would I wouldn't say party. she's going to be independent. I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to try to turn her into a Republican. I'm saying they're going to try to turn her into a Republican. She won't Republican though, because vote. say what you want right. about that's, her, that's, say what you want about her and Joe Manchin. They don't, oh, they vote. I, I actually think they vote the way they want to vote. You know, they do get pressured a little bit, but it's not like she's voted just, she's voted for plenty of Biden stuff. Not all of it, but like, it's not like she's, this unreasonable, crazy person. Any of the economics, no, no, any of the economic stuff that um, might hurt her sure. donors, right? Um, in, ter in terms, you know, uh, taxes on the rich, stuff like that, corporate tax, the, the, the corporate minimum tax, 15%, all that. She's That's torpedoed, fine. right? She's she's axed all that. But, but it's not fine because that is the basis for all other social programs. If you don't get those tax bills passed, you can't have the other social programs that are part of the, the Democratic sure, package, you need supposedly, to... right? So she's, she's literally saying like, oh, look, I'm voting for gay rights. You know, love me. Uh, but by the way, I don't want, no matter who you are, I don't want you to get but paid. But she's in that, Arizona, right? so, dude, so... a place where John McCain was the senator for before I was born, before you were born. Like... She's not in New York. She's not in Connecticut. She's in Arizona, which is like the, you know, the top three weirdest voter bases ever. Like they're kind of Republican, kind of pro-gun, kind of hate immigration. But then they went for Biden in the last, like they, they can swing. She's actually playing her cards right. Like it's a, at this point, Arizona is a swing state, even though it doesn't feel like it, it is a swing state. Sure. So why? It's absolutely. Yeah. So why, why, why try to go super left or super right? if the whole state's kind of in the middle leaning right. That's what she kind of is. Yeah, I mean... And she's got national attention. We all know her name. I don't know that, she, you know, she's necessarily yeah. going to win. I don't know who they're going to run against her, but I, I don't... I don't... I think she's making a good move, politically speaking. I actually, if I were on her mm -hmm. team, I would say this is a good move. It's a, it's a, um, we're taking a chance, but I think it's a good chance to take. I think you might be able to survive a midterm as an independent and maybe pull from both sides. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, I wish, yeah, of course I wish um, her the worst. So too. the, but she, yeah. I'll take her over John McCain. Yeah. <laughs> God rest his soul. <laughs> that I will. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, he's burning in hell because he brought us Sarah Palin. Oof. So you know, he did. He or did you know the Lincoln um, Project guys really brought us Sarah Palin? And I, I, I actually yeah, at that right, point, right. I think John McCain <laughs> was just like trying to win and wasn't really thinking. Um, yeah, but you know, I will say that he he's the boss of that campaign, and I get it. He, I get it. Paved, paved. You know the road for somebody like Trump. Oh, well, yeah, sure. But it was paved long before you know, him, if, you know, with yeah. the Bush administration stealing the election and, you know, just sending us to wars that were fake.
I'm just talking <laughs> about like the stupid people who can yeah, run. Yeah. <laughs> like Dick Cheney I wasn't mean, Bush stupid. Bush was kind of a moron. <laughs> right? He may have been an evil genius. Bush was kind of right? the original Sarah Palin. Bush yeah, was a moron. He's not a That's smart true. guy. That is true. And actually, you know what? When you come to think where Reagan was. A yeah, moron. but Reagan was an actor. Um, much different. Smooth. Yeah. Yeah. He could just read yeah, lines. When he's mingling with yeah. Gorbachev. It's like, oh, this guy's sexy. He was a sexy president because he was a movie star, you know, <laughs> like you got to give it to him. It would be like when exactly. Matthew McConaughey runs in Texas. Like, I don't know. I think Matthew McConaughey is probably as smart as the chair I'm sitting on, but I vote for him. He's Matthew McConaughey. You know, he seems yeah. reasonable. Yeah. I like when he gives a speech sure. and he talks politics and he like, you know, he's in character and I'm like, yeah. I could use a little in yeah, character yeah. Po just... political speak. You know, we've gotten so far away from it. <laughs> but which, which, which character though? Like, I want him to, are you I want thinking, him to, um, I want him to, the one, like the lawyer ones, like the, the John Lincoln Grisham Project. ones, like when he's the Southern he's the lawyer. Project. That's what that right. was. Remember? He's the original Lincoln. Was, Project. Oh, the Lincoln, Lincoln lawyer. lawyer. Yeah, the yeah, Lincoln yeah. lawyer. Lincoln Project. Yeah, Lincoln yeah. lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want him to be that, yeah. like conviction, yeah. like learning from my okay. past, like okay. understanding my privilege, yeah. but also like passionate text. Not the one. Not not like when he's in Days and Confused and just just like checking out high school girls when he's like twenty five. <laughs> Because that's that's another one of his iconic roles. <laughs> you know what's effed up? It is an iconic role, and he it would fit in with a like lot of politicians. For Ten seconds, and he's it's iconic because of the all right, oh. all right, all right. Yeah, he's, yeah he steals, steals it, it, steals it. And he was forty and balding, and now he's got a full head of hair, and no yeah. one can explain yeah. it. Um, yeah. But I'll say one last thing, just to counter your all the Democrats have ever done is like, look, do you want them? Do you want them? I don't. That's not what I was implying. I actually think the Democrats have stuff to run on. I think the uh, infrastructure bill is a very big deal. I think Biden's push for climate action is a big deal. I think him expanding health care to veterans is a big deal. I think his attack on gun control is a big deal. Um, I think the record job growth in the history of the country is something you have to talk about. You know, these are real things. These are actual things. I don't think anybody would tell you in, in most states that like there's no jobs. Come to New Orleans. There are plenty of service industry jobs starting at 20, 25 bucks an hour, which is good. It's way above even the proposed minimum wage. So like there's no lack of jobs out there. I'm not implying you got five kids and you go be a waiter. You're going to have a great life. I'm just saying the way we look at jobs in this country are, are there jobs or are there no jobs? There's a lot of jobs. So I don't think it's look at them, look at them. I think it's look what we've done. Clearly, America wants this. We just won a historic midterm election. Let's maybe listen, keep going. Let Trump and DeSantis duke it out. You know that's going to happen. Trump's going to win mm. if that if he doesn't get arrested or he goes against DeSantis. He's going to beat him. And then I think Biden runs again, beats Trump, and who knows what happens. But, but my last thing I'm going to triple down on is we have to have a national um uh, uh what do you call it uh um uh, when when people not a kickstarter yeah petition, petition. like we need a new <laughs> vice president i'm sorry i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> yeah, like we've it's talked a about joke this. like i know that that it's a uh you know fake position but tell that to lyndon johnson tell yeah. that to ford uh tell that to johnson lincoln's vice president biden's old as fuck Right. And I don't I'm not saying I don't get any pleasure in saying that people in their 80s sometimes just die for no reason. But like <laughs> if that happens and Harris is the president, we lose the next election. We lose it. I'm telling you, we lose it. So start thinking ahead because no one's voting for her. zero. Nobody. None of the people that like reluctantly voted for Fetterman over Oz. None of the people that reluctantly voted for Warnock or or all these close races it's not going to happen she is not a good candidate i don't uh, it's not personal i want to win and there are much stronger candidates out that carry swing states that we could have right now that would be like this thing we don't talk about it's like yeah if he dies we get uh gretchen that's not that bad so that has to be seriously thought about this whole pushing joe biden out needs to move away he's earned the right to run let him run but let's talk about if if the inevitable happens that people are afraid of. Well, he's old. What if? Well, well, then we need to actually take the VP position 
front and center and make it really serious this time around. That's my piece. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one thing I just want to say is that while the infrastructure bill might be a win, right? And it's and it's like, my God, where are we when we're cheering on the building of roads? Like, like well, it's just like that's, that's where, where we, are. we are, right? Um, yeah. But the climate bill, if you've looked at the climate bill, it's ridiculous. Um, so it's $370 billion that's going to be distributed over 10 years, which makes it $37 billion a year, right? To fight all of climate change. Now, just let's just a global crisis of which America is one of the key participants um, in producing it. And they've earmarked $37 billion. Baby steps, bro. In contrast, in contrast, next year's military budget is $857 billion. Okay, so $857 billion for one year of the military versus $37 billion for all of climate change, which basically that $37 billion is going to address all of the carbon footprint produced by the U.S. military, right? For, forget about everything else, right? So it's a wash, right? So th- this is this is like really like a window dressing thing. Um, and anybody who's like knows and even a little bit you know, scratching the surface of this subject knows that this is a very much like a BS thing. Um, and guess what? Why was it watered down? Chris, Kirsten Cinema, Joe Manchin, Cole Baron. Sure. You know that these, you know, there, there was, it was much more, more forceful, right? So again, I just want to um, have a Democratic Party that, like the Republicans, are pretty like brutally honest in terms of like what they want and what they're going to do. <laughs> Republicans are like, we hate if you have trans kids, we hate you. Um, we are going to you know persecute you and your families, um, and we are going to raid libraries and censor them. Um, and we're sure. going to, you know, refund the police sure. and, and crack some heads. Right. And that's what you get when you vote for Republicans for, for the most part. Right. Whereas the Democrats are, they, they're just, they're just so false, you know, and I, I don't know what's worse, uh, being lied to in my face or picking somebody who I um, know it, is an asshole. You are a you know? radical so, like, left. I, 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 you are that, the problem with this country, you and the Trumps, you, nothing's good enough for you. Trump was firing park rangers when he was uh, he was trying to drill anywhere he could drill. I, but that's not that should not it be the comparison. That should not be like the bar. We're clearly an ideological slow moving country, right? We we still have these roots in Christianity and whatever the hell else. Yes, I don't know. Yes, I don't. I don't. I, I'm going to push back against that. Why? Hard, we just we're hard. trying to get rid Two of abortion because America, land yeah, of the free. Can I, yeah, but that's that that's a that's a radical act, actually, right? That's a that's a radical fringe that is captured. Um, it's the not Supreme that Court radical because it's that not is not actually representative of the country, right? Here's why. It's I agree with you, but it's representative of a good portion of the voting country. So I don't. We have to talk. We have. Yes, it is. No. Why was there a blue wave? Why did the Democrats get Congress? I mean, why did the Republicans get Congress again? If the whole country is so against this and it's such a big thing, why did that happen? Because a lot of it is gerrymandering. That's, That's a good point. But still, you can counter gerrymandering yeah. if the masses come out. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, it's it's very hard when you gerrymander a place where most people think abortion should be banned. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like if you, you you do it just so. It's Here's like, yeah, saying. okay, fine. Not, it's very look, first of all, <laughs> because you countered my point. Nobody's reading the climate bill, so who gives a shit? Take credit for it. Just say we did. You know what? You know what? You do three hundred sixty billion dollars. All right, fair point. To me, <laughs> my problem is that I actually read two, these things sometimes, right? and I'm like, I don't Whoa. read it. It sounds good to me. Thirty-six billion. Okay, great. I'll let you and the other people. I read the summaries. Right. Let me be honest. So I read the summary in the national, on the national stage, in a debate. Great. Oh my God, $36 billion for 10 years? That sounds pretty reasonable. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a lot of money. And it's not like the Republicans are going to sit across from Biden debating, well, you put all that money in the military. No, it's you win. 
game over, checkmate. So now Biden gets to go. Trump was actually getting rid of the EPA and firing park rangers. I'm doing $36 billion a year, the largest in the history of the country. And even though for people like you and me, I guess if we really looked into it, it's like a little disappointing, but it's a step in the right direction. And I think that needs to be the Democrats' new uh, motto is small steps in the right direction. Okay, so we're going. What about Bobby? Baby, baby steps. steps. It's just baby steps. Baby steps. But dude, you got to admit. Okay. And, and we'll, we'll right. close with this before we talk about you, you, the interview you did. Were we? Are we Biden fans? I am a half-hearted Biden. Na- fan. Now we but weren't. Now. Oh, coming no. up. Me, me no, definitely not. But definitely not. If he can get people like me and you that would be accused of being radical left to be like, eh, he should run. I probably, I'm going to vote for him. Yeah, I, I can't. I, there's no Republican I would even consider. There's not even an independent other than Bernie. But I wouldn't even vote for Bernie over him because I don't think Bernie's going to win. I'm, I want to win again. And I hope Bernie doesn't run. If you know, Well, I guess he wouldn't if Biden runs. Um, but he has my vote. Like, I, I think it's headed in the right direction. And Man, if he gets in four more years where he doesn't need to worry about a re-election, maybe he'll get more radical. Maybe he, maybe an old dying career politician will want the last 10 years of his life or the presidency, his legacy to be like radical change for the better. I, I, that there's something about the old guy getting in that is in twilight years, the last chapter of his life who built up for this, who has experienced great loss in real life shit that has nothing to lose with a democratic controlled Senate with the tiebreaker. I don't know. It, it, it could really be, I, I'm giving the old guy another run. Okay. All right. All right. That's, that's a, that's a hopeful picture you, you paint. Well, he's like just it. done better yeah. than we could have expected uh, under the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, yes. my God, dude, he inherited a country that had just watched a storming of the Capitol and like we've kind of gotten in a good place where like we can now all breathe a little bit and say, okay, there's not that many of them. It looked like it. We were all depressed and like, oh my God, I'm terrified. And now we're like, oh wow, the midterms really actually proved that they don't really, they're, the, you know, the squeaky wheel always gets the grease and they're squeaky and we give them a lot mm. of attention in the, mili- in the, in the mm. media, but like, they don't really swing any votes. I mean, not at all. Like Dr. Oz whooped Fetterman's ass in that debate. It was not even close and lost by like a lot. Fetterman had a stroke and couldn't talk and won. (laughs) That's bad. That is bad. Yeah. And the war with Trump and Mitch McConnell, Mitch is good for another foot five years. He just won. You know, this is like, I love it. I, they're, 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 you can sit back and you can say they're in trouble. They know they're in trouble. Um, this gay marriage thing coming up could be the literal nail in the coffin for them. If they fuck around with that, it's over. I live in the South, dude. Like, you know, obviously in a very blue city, but I go around the whole South. Like, and I'm not implying anything other than. I think the majority of reasonable people are, have moved past their religious ideology and are just like, this is, let's worry about other shit right now. And the Republicans are taking on abortion, gay marriage, things that we all have kind of moved past. Like some of us like happily, like we're glad these are laws. Some that like we're probably against it. They're just like, ah, fuck it. I don't care anymore. Like I have a gay cousin and whatever. Um, And they're just like, you know, taking on shit that like nobody wants to, nobody cares about anymore. People want the gas prices to go down. That's what we want. Gas prices to go down. We want healthcare. We want to, 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 to be able to spend time with our family because we all got a little taste of it during the pandemic. And if you like your family, you don't want to go back to the old ways. There's bigger problems to think about. Um, and I do think for young people, you know, there's more, uh, 18 year olds now than in the history of our country. Over a million, something crazy, a couple million, something crazy. These are voters who actually care about the climate. (laughs) Maybe start thinking about that, dude. I don't know.
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good luck with that. Um, well, I'll be Republicans in 10 years. All right, so I... Oh my God, not, <laughs> not going to happen. Um, I, I have more... Um, fire for for the Biden administration but I'm going to hold back this time I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> there's plenty more episodes for me to, to for me to vent so let me just uh, tee up what's coming next um, so we had um, a guest come on uh, Tony couldn't make it but I was able to talk with Ruth Ben Giat um, who's a professor at NYU and is a specialist on fascism and particularly Italian fascism um, but I had a great conversation with her um, about the recent election of Georgia Maloney to the Italian um, prime ministership. And, you know, she's a neo-fascist, right? Uh, openly loves Mussolini, um, and her, her party is a byproduct of the party that was created right after World War II to keep the fascist flame going. <laughs> um, so... We got, you know, 100 years after the March on Rome, we got Georgia Maloney uh, um, in power. So we hope you uh, enjoy the conversation with Ruth ben Gia. Sorry, I couldn't be there, but I'm excited to hear it. So we are so excited to have on Ruth Ben Giat. Um, she is a professor of history and Italian studies at New York University. Um, she's also an MSNBC columnist. You might have seen her on TV. She's been on CNN. She's been on MSNBC, and she's a specialist uh, on Italian fascism. Um, multiple books on that, and her latest book is called Strongmen. Mussolini to the Present, which was published by Norton in 2020. So thanks so much for coming on, Ruth. It's a, it's a pleasure. Okay, so I wanted to start with some questions about uh, this book, Strongmen, um, which I just read and I really enjoyed, um, and then ask you to consider what themes from that book might shed some light on contemporary Italian politics, certainly with the uh, ascension of Giorgia Maloney and the sort of neo-fascist movement. Um, so, you know, as you well know, as a historian of fascism, and you're a contributor to this problem, if you want to frame it that way, it's like <laughs> there's legions of books on fascism and all its varieties and so on. And, but Strongmen, you know, while it begins with Mussolini, Hitler, and Franco, um, it's not really a book about fascism per se. It's about this historical evolution of authoritarianism across, you know, much of the 20th century and then into the 21st century. And so, you know, if all fascisms are authoritarian, but not all authoritarianisms are fascist, um, could you speak a little bit about how you define authoritarianism and why you currently think we're living in this age of the strong man? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I wanted to write this book that goes over 100 years because... Um, I see fascism and, and also early communism as the beginning stages of this, what was a new political system, authoritarianism, that, you know, that continues to our day and, 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 and it evolves like anything else. And because I'm an expert on fascism, um, aside from Gaddafi, who is in my book, who is a man of the far left, I wanted to to trace a history of, you know, what happens to all of these fascist styles of thinking and practices when fascism dies. And so I have part two of the book is, um, you know, the military coups. And so I do case like case studies and I have, um, I have Franco who's, you know, there till the seventies, but I have Pinochet in Chile. And then part three is, you know, what happens after the Cold War ends and what I call the new authoritarian age. And, and so you see that, that these kind of fascist impulses and indeed actual fascists who were harbored not only in Argentina as is well known, but also in Spain, in Chile, they had lots of Nazis there. Uh, they continue and they go into the 21st century and you have Berlusconi in Italy, who's extremely important for, um, charting a new phase of right-wing history by bringing neo-fascists into the government for the first time. So 
authoritarianism at its broadest is, you know, when the executive branch overwhelms everything else, right? Everything has to come. And often in my book, I did the case study of personalist rulers, where you have a strong individual who has a personality cult and his private financial, political, and other needs determine policy. They determine the fates of institutions. So that's the broadest um, definition of authoritarianism. And the book is about the different stages of this up to uh, the Putin and also Trump. It's the first book that came out that puts Trump in historical perspective, uh, locates him in authoritarian history. Right. Great. So in terms of, um, so, you know, as you note that this authoritarian impulse is old um, and it's had various permutations across this, you know, century long um, study that you've done. What then um, would you say is the new part of what you call the, the new authoritarianism? So one one thing that you, you see with the 21st century is um, outside of communism, there are fewer one-party states. Um, there's still a lot of them around, and they're not all communist. But today, you rather than shut down elections and shut down all opposition parties, shut down all media, you keep a, a pocket of opposition. Sometimes it's a controlled opposition, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. You keep a pocket of independent media. Uh, again, it's that's becoming more difficult. But the main thing is you keep elections going. And so a very 21st century uh, phenomenon is what's called electoral autocracy. And the, the best example is Viktor Orban in Hungary, mm-hmm. who keeps elections going, has, there are opposition parties, indeed they banded together to try and get rid of him unsuccessfully in uh, April, uh, last April, but you game the system and this takes time. So he's been in there, you know, 12 years. You game the system through um, techniques that are very familiar to Americans, gerrymandering, redistricting, voter suppression. You also, which has happened in Hungary, you must domesticate the national media. And what Orban has done is uh, he used a a combination of threat, intimidation, um, buyouts to get, um, like in 2018, 500, quote, independent media outlets volunteered to donate their assets to a government allied foundation. So some estimates are as much as 90%, 95% of the media is allied with the state. This matters in elections. Part of, this is part of electoral autocracy because the opposition's message simply does not reach voters. So you have that. And then you have the capture of the judiciary, for example, so that if there are challenges to elections, they get, they get turned back instantly. Whereas uh, in 2020 in America, one of the reasons Trump didn't succeed in his self-coup is that over 60 judges, Republican and Democrat appointees, refused to go along with his uh, electoral subversion. So there the system had not been captured sufficiently. But of course, that's the aim is to create of the GOP some kind of electoral autocracy here. So that's a big new thing that is that distinguishes uh, authoritarianism today. So do you think that's about just the the semblance of democracy and electoral politics that you need this sort of veneer um, to appear legitimate uh, because the sort of the it's it's kind of like the same way that Stalin you know dubs East Germany a people's democracy you know that that sort of thing that there's there's, mm-hmm. there's this there's this drive and this urge like no this is a democ- this is a democratic process and so on um, and therefore it's it's legitimate rather than um, uh, somebody like uh, somebody like a Franco or somebody even like Mobutu, who, who just <laughs> is just going to rule them, you know, irrespective of, of what it looks like and, and really just sort of gather power and create a patronage system and so on. Yeah, we could have a whole conversation just about um, the use of the word democracy by authoritarians. Right. 
And um, the mo one of the latest is Viktor Orban again, who calls his system, quote, a liberal democracy. Although, frankly, what is democratic about his system? Not very much. But it sounds good. It, it, and, and Erdogan also, he doesn't use the word democracy, but um, in the middle of his crackdown, uh, he was detaining over 100,000 people. He was interviewed by CNN in 2017, and he said, here we have a ballot box. I am not a dictator. It's the people's will that decides things. So this veneer of um, I'm there by the will of the people has actually been very important to authoritarians. And indeed, every single coup I studied, because a third of strongman is about coups. I didn't know right, how relevant right. that would be. Every coup, up to uh, the attempted self-coup this week in Peru, the Castillo, they present themselves as doing the will of the people. <laughs> they are bringing democracy. In fact, Castillo said, we're going to you know, take, suppress parliament so we can restore the rule of law and democracy, and we're corresponding to the people's will. And I read that and I thought, oh, here we go again. Um, yeah. And it can happen on the right or the left, in, as in this case. I mean, that's, that's the fascinating thing. That <clears throat> it's a recurring theme in, in the book um, about all of these leaders self-presenting as the tribune of the people, right? That there's this sort of populist uh, rhetoric to uh, you know, justify basically everything. Um, okay, so one thing that I found really interesting um, that I've only seen in really like kind of like specialist literature on this is this um, analysis of sexuality yeah. and, and the chapter on vir virility. <laughs> Um, and you bring together um, a lot of different people, um, notably Mussolini and Gaddafi, um, and you talk about them as basically mobilizing the state apparatus, whether it's the bureaucratic elements or the security services to satisfy their kind of violent sexual appetites. Um, you know, this went on in the Soviet Union with Beria as well, with NKVD, right? That's, that it's part of this. And so... Why do you think it's the case that all of these strong men um, are full of what today we might call, you know, toxic masculinity, right? That why, why, why is that such um, uh, an important theme? Yeah, it's, it's power. It's a proprietary um, perception, proprietary conception of power that, that these are megalomaniacs, that everything is theirs. You know how like Trump took, Trump took uh, uh, classified, highly sensitive documents to his home. And it was very interesting. Uh, they were stored in a box, some of them with golf balls and family photos. And I thought, well, there we are. Because everything in the state is theirs and everything exists to enrich them, to satisfy their needs. That can mean kleptocracy. And Putin, we should never mention Putin's state without mentioning its kleptocracy. It can mean having, basically for, for people who come in listening, it's as though Jeffrey Epstein was the head of the government. And to, to satisfy his needs and his cronies' needs, the state apparatus of the security services, the personal bodyguards, were tasked with finding sexual partners and sexual slaves. And... So this is about being able to use the apparatus of the state for your private needs. Um, and many, many are complicit in this. And I was, uh, I put that chapter in there because um, I just didn't see um, that, although there are a lot of political scientists who um, talk about gender, there's enormous uh, fields of research on this. I didn't see uh, it being taken seriously, this toxic masculinity uh, in the literature on authoritarianism. It just wasn't really mentioned very much. And indeed, I thought that when the book came out, um, that chapter would be at the center of coverage of the book, naively. In, and instead, it was kind of marginalized and most of the mm. reviewers and people didn't, they may have talked about the the masculinity and the pictures of Mussolini and Putin with no shirt, but nobody wanted to touch the exact thing that you brought up, which is so important, this use of the apparatus of power. Um, 
which means that their sexuality becomes an extension of the other ways they abuse power. That was the point of it. It had a very rigorous point, and yet it, it was um, marginalized yet again. And people just don't want to touch it. Uh, even today, yeah. there's been very few discussions of that part of the book. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, so I just wanted to read a quote because I thought it encapsulated your argument kind of fully. Um, and this is from page 120 here um, in Strongman. Far from being a private affair, yeah. the sex life of the strongman reveals how corruption, propaganda, violence, and virility work together and how personalist rulers use state resources to fulfill their desires. Right. So, you know, that's all your chapters kind of <laughs> brought, brought yeah, together and it's sort perfect. of anchoring it. That's the, and, yeah. and the, pur the purpose of the book, which is, uh, I did a kind of, instead of doing the biographical thing that believe me, it would have been easier chapter on Mussolini, right. then you moved forward chapter on Putin. I, right. I structured it around the tools of rule. And so each chapter, propaganda, virility, corruption, violence, they go over a hundred years. So you see what stays the same, what changes. But the idea is to point out nodes, like what, like, like the the uh, way that their private needs are catered to, um, that where all the instruments uh, enable each other, and they all intertwine. Uh, thievery is another one, you know, like uh, stealing right. from the state. So um, yes, that's the, that's actually one of the quotes that I think best sums up the book and, and also its methodology. Okay, good. I'm, 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 I'm glad that, cause that's the one I, 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 yeah. I came across and I underlined it like four times yeah. um, because like, okay, this is, this, this brings everything together right here. I wonder why that has been marginalized, right? What, what is, what do you make of it? I think it's um, just people don't, they, they don't want to, it's bleak. They don't want to deal with it. And yet, mm -hmm. I also thought like feminist critics would pick up on it. But the other thing that happened is sometimes the book was, uh, there was an interesting, the book was slammed in the New York Times by uh, Francis Fukuyama uh, for, and other places for being not rigorous. And there was this kind of sexism of some people that, and there, uh, there was one person who just said, oh, it's about gender. The whole book's about gender which I think because I'm a woman, it's supposed to be mm -hmm. about gender, but didn't go into any. But the point, it's, that's why that quote is so important. It's not that it's sensation. Or a lot of people said it's, all, it's, right. it's history as anecdotes, and which is light, L-I-T-E, history that right. women do right. or something. So there was a lot of weird stuff with the reception of the book. Hmm. And this mitigated... Um, taking seriously the argument, in particular, the personalist rule. That's very, very important. And I have not been able to place an op-ed about that, actually. Hmm. Um, wow. Interesting. It, but it's, it's absolutely key to understanding what's going on uh, with Putin, for example, uh, certainly Trump, who imported personalist rule into America as much as he could within the constraints mm -hmm. he had. So, um, the, the publishing the book was also an exercise in um, what what people don't want to really think about and the the datedness of certain paradigms. Um, and all my life and my career, I've been very early with saying things. Uh, so I'm kind of used to that. But it happened again. <laughs> it's a good sign. And we don't have to worry about Francis Fukuyama because he thinks history's over anyway. Um, so... Um, so this brings me to uh, my final question, which is bringing us to the present. And with regard to Georgia Maloney um, and this Brothers of Italy party uh, that has come into power. And I have just two questions for you. One is, would you categorize her as a fascist or something else? Uh, and second, is she a strong man? And by what, by what I mean by that is that how important is the man part in strong man? Mm -hmm. So for the second part, at the end of, uh, in the conclusion to Strongman, I write um, that uh, it's inevitable that we'll have a female-led authoritarian state. And I was thinking of Marine Le Pen. Mm -hmm. And I said very pointedly, when that happens, you know, they're not going to strip their shirts off like Putin and Mussolini, but they're going to be just as racist, corrupt. I, I cited all the other tools of rule. 
So it's not that they're going to be any better. Um, they'll be different. And I think that, and so, you know, the first, in, in a way, uh, people were very surprised when it was Italy to have the first female um, far-right leader um, because Italy is supposed to be sexist, it's Mediterranean, but it makes perfect sense. Um, and I, you, she is a neo-fascist. She's trying very hard to whitewash herself and her, her, her government as conservative. That's the line she's mm -hmm. using. But she, mm -hmm. she's very interesting because she was a hardcore neo-fascist militant in the original party. And, but she's as much a creation of Berlusconi as Mussolini. Um, because Berlusconi is, was the first person in the 90s and then 2000s to bring the neo-fascists into power. He, his, his import, so he also gets marginalized. He, his importance is enormous. He broke the taboos to giving, putting the far right back into power. And she was uh, a minister of youth in his government. And this was his last government in 2008 to 11 when he was aggressively peddling Putin's imperialist policies. He was very, very, he was the big, after Gerhard Schroeder, he was the big Putin mouthpiece. He was mainstreaming far-right extremism, great replacement theory. Berlusconi's whole, it was like a laboratory of things that we're seeing play out today. He was, he was early. So Maloney, uh, she is a female demagogue actually. And I'm doing an analysis of her speaking style. I'm going to publish at some point. And it's very scary. I, I urge everybody, even if you don't know Spanish, it, it doesn't matter. Please go and see a video of her addressing Vox, the far right party in Spain. Mm. And she's screaming at the crowd in a way that truly I've only seen um, Hitler and Mussolini do. And she's setting up this Manichaean universe. Um, and that's who she is. Mm -hmm. And she also had to be a bit of a female um, demagogue to make her way in this intensely patriarchal and sexist far-right culture and to become prime minister. So those who uh, said, oh, don't worry about her, she's, her government will fall quickly, that's short-sighted. Um, because the, the left and the center left are not getting their act together uh, anytime soon, it seems. So I, I'm very worried about that. So the, the fear then, I mean, so one is that her, her beliefs and uh, presumably her actions when she was uh, a minister and so on um, betray her you know, fascist sympathies or, or full-on full -on beliefs. Um, and second, it's the case that she, she, her, her precedent, her mainstreaming normalizes forms of political discourse that, you know, sh you would think, uh, would be the lunatic fringe, uh, but rather have now sort of taken the commanding heights of, 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 uh, politics. Um, is it the case then that you know, one of one of the arguments that's out there that I've I've seen um, is that Italian governments come and go, right? That that you know these are coalition governments, and you know they're always sort of hanging on by a thread, and you know the political winds will blow differently another day. And this is just uh, her, you know, fifteen minutes of political fame or something like that. But you're saying just her very presence um, in this limelight is is telling about darker forces yeah yeah absolutely it's like you know i think it was yasha monk who was like oh world weary tone oh don't you know don't worry she's gonna be gone soon berlusconi's first government the taboo breaking government of neo-fascists only lasted six months but then he was back and in the meantime the fascists the neo-fascists were legitimized enormous damage was done during those six months and I think that Maloney's government's going to last longer. I hope I'm wrong, but it's very, I'm watching like a hawk, everything she's doing. And some of the things are straight out of the uh, authoritarian and Berlusconi playbook uh, because it's not just her. If you look at her cabinet, uh, including, you know, undersecretaries, there's been no other government that has so many 
uh, neo-fascist in it. And even people who are supposed to be the moderates, like the Minister of Finance, in their youth, they were neo-fascists. Like that was a choice. They were in the party. Some of them were like regional leaders like her. So, and then others are just these, uh, you know, people who've been convicted of crimes. So it's very telling to me that her, I think it's her minister of justice, who's just an incredibly corrupt individual. He's trying to remove the right of the state to do wiretaps. Wiretaps are how one of the reasons that Berlusconi was ultimately convicted. So you're going to watch, it's like I'm watching all the authoritarian playbook tools. They're going to be, uh, they're corrupt people. And Berlusconi is part of the coalition. Uh, Salvini is very corrupt. He's part of the coalition. He takes Russian money. So you're going to see a lot of action um, out of my corruption chapter where they're trying to take away the right of the state to prosecute crime. Um, using the example, some people are against wiretaps and privacy reasons, but in the Italian context, without wiretaps, you wouldn't have had the convictions of mafia bosses, who were, by the way, very allied with Berlusconi, and you wouldn't have had the conviction of Berlusconi himself. So I'm watching all of that as well as the racist uh, stuff. And I'll just say one last thing. Um, although she keeps trying to say she's conservative, Meloni uh, is so um, extreme that her position on great replacement theory is to the right of Tucker Carlson and to the right of Orban even, or maybe similar to Orban, in that many people who are for great replacement theory, which is the idea that uh, non-whites are having babies more and so whites will be extinguished, they, they see it as an outgrowth of natural demographic changes. She said, there's numerous tweets and things by her, um, she thinks it's a plot, a, des she's a design to, by George Soros, of course, so there's the anti-Semitism, sure. and the EU, yeah. to um, flood Europe with non-white immigrants to depress white wages and also have a demographic revolution. So she th she's a conspiracy theorist, is what I'm trying to say. And so now we have a far-right, neo-fascist, conspiracy theorist who thinks that no new mosques should be built in Italy, only Italians should be heard in Italy. That's our prime minister. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's very troubling. Um, this great replacement stuff just smacks of warmed over Lothrop Stoddard and Madison Grant. <laughs> you know, it's it's totally. an old, you know, anxiety that's been, you know, harbored for, for a long time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and w one last thing is, is that, do you think, you know, I, I, I'm going to go check out that, that, um, speech to Vox, um, but do you think she's sort of adopting, you know, you know, if, if there's the uh, the paranoid style of American politics, is this like the virile style of of the authoritarians that that's what she's sort of picking up that these are the sort of things these are the sort of postures one must strike in order to appear powerful um, and, you know, be this tribune of the people? Yeah, in part. So there's two things going on quickly. One is um, fascism itself had this, uh, early on had this idea of the virile woman, the woman who's like a fascist. There were even fa female squadrists, even though Mussolini took you know, female rights away and did all kinds of oppressive things. There was this idea of the, the virile, virile female. Of course, you have to use the male term uh, to, right. to compliment the woman. She's, she's like that. And she really did study Mussolini's uh, gestures and her eyes. And it's if the more you basically the more you know about historic fascism, the more you can freak out looking at her, <laughs> uh, looking, meaning observing what she's doing. Um, so so that's, you know, the other thing is there's this phenomenon called gender washing. It's not my term. It's two female mm -hmm. political scientists where. And, and Le Pen's part of it, Katalin Novak, the president of Hungary, where women um, purport to, uh, as female politicians, be upholding female values, upholding the values and the rights of women um, when they're actually taking women's rights away. 
for uh, reproductive rights um, and and replacing them, uh, looking saying they should only be uh, valued in the context of the family. And that's what Maloney's Minister of Family is doing. She's she's not a she's one of the rare uh, non-neo-fascists, but she's a radical uh, Catholic, radical extreme Catholic. So that's that makes it complicated. Uh, these fe- these female politicians, people think, oh, they're going to be for the rights of women, and they milk that. Right. But the effect, the outcome, is the opposite. Right. That very powerful, plausible deniability. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, Ruth, thank you so much. I could talk to you for much longer, but I know you have to run. Um, the book is great. Uh, I encourage you. everyone to read it. Um, and again, thanks for taking the time. All right. It's a pleasure. No Politics at the Dinner Table is produced by Amit Prakash. Uh, beats and tunes by Jeep Baderoy, our theme song by Alex Tepper. Uh, please check out our website. www.nopoliticsatthedinnertable.com You can see a lot of the books that we recommend. You can buy Amit's book um, to see some of the things we're into in our past guests, past episodes. Um, We're not really on social media, but we are still going old school URL. Um, So check us us out on there. And uh, are we doing one more podcast before the holidays? We'll do one more. Yeah, great. Great, we'll do one more before the holidays, we'll take a little break, and then we'll be back uh, gearing up for the uh, 2024, uh, 2023 uh, primary crazy leading up to the presidency. See you next week.